From high school coach to major league baseball pitcher, an interview with Jim, the rookie Morris on Dream Makers, his new book. Get ready for an inspiring interview with him. He's a former high school baseball coach, and he turned the major league pitcher. And as we discussed, his new book, Dream Makers, is forwarded by Dennis Quaid. And it shares Morris's obstacles, failures, successes, and how he has surmounted the impossible with courage. If you found inspiration from the Disney movie, The Rookie, then Dream Makers is sure to be even more inspiring, enriching, and eye-opening to every reader. It's a book about being among the best to be the best. Join us for this insightful interview as we dive deeper into the pages of Dream Makers and discover how to pursue forgotten dreams through the belief that nothing is impossible. Welcome to the Wellness Driven Life Show, where you're about to go on a wellness-driven ride. Welcome to Candy Apple Advocacy, the podcast for parents who want to advocate for their children's education. I'm Jim Mallard, and I'm here with my wife, Tabby. We've been through the trenches of raising kids in the school system and know how tough it can be. But we also know how essential it is to advocate for your child and their education. That's why we started this podcast, to share our experiences and insights with other parents to help them become more effective advocates for their children. On this podcast, we'll talk about everything from general education, general school advice, the school choices you have available to you, different education styles, individualized education plans, 504s, and all those key terms that you've heard but don't know what they are. We'll talk to experts. We'll also talk to parents and hear their stories. We'll share our stories with you and give you tools you need to be a strong advocate for your child and yourself. Whether you're a new parent, or have been in the game for a while, we invite you to join our community. Let's advocate together. Hello and welcome back. I'm so excited to introduce our incredible guest today. Jim the Rookie Morris is an accomplished motivational speaker and author who has dedicated his life to inspiring others to achieve their dreams. Despite having to overcome numerous obstacles, he never lost sight of his childhood dream to play baseball in the major leagues. After a series of injuries ended his career at the young age of 25, Morris refused to give up. And through a remarkable, remarkable turn of events, he found himself on the mound as a relief pitcher for the Tampa Bay Devil Rays at the age of 35. His incredible story was immortalized in the popular film, The Rookie, which won both critical and commercial acclaim. Morris is also the author of two books, including his most recent release, Dream Makers, which explores a, the transformative power of surrounding yourself with the best people possible to achieve your dreams. Morris is a seasoned motivational speaker, having participated in prestigious events such as the Million Dollar Roundtable twice, and he has received numerous accolades for his work, including the Lifetime Achievement Award from the Bobby Bragan Youth Foundation in 2008. Morris is also the founder of a foundation that helps children in undeserved communities find hope and inspiration through sports. Please help me welcome this incredible man, Mr. Jim Morris. Thank you, April. Glad to be here. <laughs> My pleasure, Jim. Thank you so much. It is absolutely an honor to have you here on the Wellness Driven Life Show. Well, glad to be here and hopefully share some important things. Yes, I know you will. I mean, 
what an incredible journey. And, uh, you know, for those who haven't seen the movie, The Rookie, and I'm just going to add for just a second for people to see, uh, it's, it's such an inspiration, your journey. But for right now, I would love to ask you to introduce yourself a little bit. Let's give the audience a little bit about you outside of that bio. Oh, outside the bio. So apparently I'm a late bloomer as most men are. <laughs> and I, I took my time to get to a certain goal and it took a group of other people who are a lot younger than me to get me there. But I grew up as a military brat and my father is, you know, there are dream makers and there are dream killers. My father was the first dream killer I ever encountered. And he put me down every chance he got. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're going to embarrass yourself. You're going to embarrass the family. You just need to give up. And so I didn't study in school and I didn't care about school where I could be a kid and where I could be the person I was supposed to be was in between the white lines of a ball field. And it could be basketball, football, baseball, run track, whatever it was, I was going to do it because that helped me escape if for only a few hours at a time. And I find it ironic now, I make a living speaking. And one of the things my dad drilled into me every single day of my life is his children are to be seen and not heard. Mm -hmm. And now I make a living talk. I think that's funny, it's ironic. And I'm bigger than him, so I giggle about it. <laughs> there you go. Well. That in and, in and of itself is pretty incredible where you had somebody beating you down so much, you know, and when it's our, our, our parental figure, it hits straight to the bone, doesn't it? You know, because we, we're a part of them and it just, it's easy to then identify ourselves as unworthy and not good enough. So I know they went a little bit into that, into the movie, but I can only imagine it was a Disney movie, right? It's a little more intense in the real world, non-Disney fashion. Yeah, Disney at the time, yes. Um, I tell audiences everywhere, <clears throat> the bruises go away. It was the words that stick with you. And when you get tired and you get run down and, and we've got work to do and we've got kids to raise and we've got a, a spouse to support and communicate with and those words come back and they haunt you. And for when you consider yourself unworthy, you pretty much are because you're lowering your standards. And that's one of the things I talk about a lot is we can rise to expectation or we can lower to expectation. Which one are you going to do? And for me, sports always helped me excel and live above expectation. It was the classroom I had a problem with. And here's the deal. By the time I was middle of my ninth grade year, Brownwood High School here in Texas was the 30th school I'd been to in nine years. Oh, Jim, you're you're muted. Hold on. You're you're muted. There you go. Apparently, I'm not, I'm a late bloomer on technology too. <laughs> you got it. Um. So, we moved everywhere. And it's still doing it. Ever heard of stoicism? Chances are, if you have, you've heard of stoicism with a lowercase s and not stoicism with an uppercase s. Lone wolves, no emotions, antisocial behavior, cold, indifference. All that is stoicism with a lowercase s. Stoicism with an uppercase s is the ancient Greek philosophy and virtue ethics framework that centers on service to the cosmopolis, to include your family, friends, community, and planet, and the development of a good moral character. My name is Tanner Campbell, and I'm the host of Practical Stoicism, a three times a week podcast teaching stoic principles and concepts to anyone interested through the exploration of texts and deep dives into various moral topics. You can find Practical Stoicism where you're already listening to podcasts by searching for Practical Stoicism or by going to stoicismpod.com. I invite you to give it a listen today. You just might like it. No, you're, I can hear you. Okay. It yeah. was just no, you're good to go. And I thought, huh. But no, you're clear. Here, you're clear. And you were talking about how you moved so much during your childhood. Trying to get my ear pods back on. 
Okay. <laughs> they're on. They're on. All right. I'm all good now. So we moved constantly and everywhere we moved, I was always a step behind because they were on something different in whatever classroom we were in. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, well, I've been yeah. told by the person who's supposed to set boundaries around me that I'm stupid. So why, why waste my time? I did just good enough in school to get to the athletic fields so I could be an athlete yeah. because I knew that I was good at that and everything else just kind of took a turn until at the age of 15, my parents did the biggest favor for me. They never knew they did. And they moved me from their house in Miami, Florida to my grandparents' house in Brownwood, Texas. So that was the 30th school. When I walked into my grandparents' house, I thought, this is my father's parents. He came from somewhere. This is going to be brutal. Because remember, I talked about my dad right. and his words. You know, the worst thing he ever said to me was he's holding my baby brother. He looks down at me out of my mother's earshot and goes, this is the one we wanted. We never wanted you. And so that was like icing. Yeah, that's tough. You can't live up to anything. And so they sent me to his parents. And when I walked into my grandparents' house, I had two rules. If you do it, own it. Own it, live up to it, and move on. And number two, tell the truth. Because when you tell the truth, you don't have to remember what you said because it doesn't change. The truth is the truth. Mm, I like that. I love the, the ownership part. It is, and they taught me everything, including how to shake hands firmly, how to look people in the Mm. eye, how to hold the door for somebody, even if they don't want you to. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. And it doesn't matter who it is, you hold the door. And to the point where he had me take my grandmother on lunch dates once a week the entire time I was in high school, so I would know how to treat women. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) Take their arm across the street, open car doors, restaurant doors, pull out chairs, fold out napkins. They wanted me to be a good man and a good human. They wanted me to be good to people. And I think one of the most important lessons that my grandfather ever taught me was you treat everybody like you would want your grandmother treated. Mm. And they are my dream makers. Those were the first two people in my life that went, you can be whatever it is you want to be. What are you, why are you settling for less? And they were such great examples because for 15 years, I watched my parents throw, hit, curse, fight, say things that were you can't take back. Yeah. Then I move in with my grandparents. I'm here across word, not in three years. They don't do anything except build each other up because they've got things to do and arguing and bickering about mundane stuff is not it for them. And so they taught me how to have a positive outlook. And it was amazing to me because I would watch my grandfather in his menswear store and he sold fine men's clothes and people would come in and specifically ask for him because of how he treated everybody. And my point is that one day this lady walks in in overalls, boots and a straw hat and the smell of the boots, she had a pig farm. Well, it was right after the store opened, all the men are in the back, the salesmen who are about my grandfather's age, having coffee. They look up, they see this woman not dressed right, ignore her. She doesn't exist. She's not going to buy anything. My grandfather saw this from his office. He gets up, treats her like she should be treated. And before she left his store, she bought 15 suits for every male in her family and paid in Mm -hmm. cash. And when he walked back by me, he said, it doesn't matter what color you are, what language you speak, whether you dig ditches, you're the president, everybody deserves respect. And you treat everybody the way you want your grandmother treated. And those lessons were just on and on. If you ever make a promise, live up to it because you're going to be remembered if you were a truth teller or not. And just fantastic people to have in my life at a time when I could have fallen off the rails very easily. Yeah, you're right. Um, Absolutely. One of the biggest blessings to have that influence. And it's starting to make sense where you're coming from with the book, the new book that you have written and released. Yeah, it is. Um, I do it just like I do my talks and, and the book publishing company, they're like, you just put down what happened when it's funny, it's funny. And when it's a mistake, it's a mistake. People need to read this and know I can mess up and I can still be successful sometimes at the same time, because if you're not trying to accomplish anything, you're never going to fail. You have to get up and get going and you're never going to succeed until you fail. And for the very few people, like two out of 300 million people who are successful, 
they've earned it and they don't stop. They keep going. And so yeah. my grandparents taught me at the, that at early age. So they're the first dream makers in my life. Oh, that's an incredible story. Thank you so much. I, I love that. I love how they taught you what they taught you, all of the, the great things. I'm, I'm sure you instilled that in your children. And so I, how about we start from more of the beginning? Let's go into, you had this, you know, wonderful opportunity to be raised by your grandparents and instill those core values, which are, which really set the tone for what was next. And that was pursuing major leagues. Uh, and, but really you, you had some injuries, so that didn't go well, but you ran into your students, a couple of students that kind of re geared you into a different direction, correct? It did, but that was years later. And that was after the doctors told me you will never, ever pitch again. Okay. So I'll jump right back in April and go, I love my grandfather and respected him because of the man he was at the time. But then I watched the same strong man who carried a city and part of the state of Texas on top of his shoulders and meant so much to so many people be stricken with ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease in which he probably got when exposed to an agent in the Philippines during World War II, lost his brother during that war, came home. But during my junior year, he trips in the store one day and he hops up. He and I were the only ones in the store. And he goes, Alice does not know this. And I said, okay. Over the next six months, cane walk or wheelchair, watching the person who led so many people on his shoulders when he was healthy do the exact same thing from a wheelchair. Mm. It didn't slow him down. He didn't call, I, it's over, calf rope, I'm done. He lived his life. And, you know, one time he and I were in the kitchen alone one night and he's hooked up to auction. He stooped over, he's in his wheelchair. He's got clay in his hands, trying to keep some movement in his hand. And I look at him when I'm 18, when you're 18, you know everything, right? And your emotions are on your sleeve. And I thought, I want him to know and understand how mad I am for him, even though he wasn't mad. And I looked at him and I thought of the ugliest thing I could say to my grandfather. And what came out was I threw his face back at him. And I said, why has God done this to you? Why didn't he give this disease to somebody who deserved it? You do nothing but help people your entire life. You and Alice make Thanksgiving dinners for families that can't afford it, buy Christmas presents for families with kids that can't afford it. Out of your own bank account, even though you're not rich, you still help other people along the way and they never even know where the movie comes from, money comes from. Why did God do this to you? And Ernest took in some oxygen and he looked up at me the best he could over his glasses and he said, son, I've worked my whole life to get to where I'm going. Where are you headed? Never complained. Oh. And it was, he's, he was just such an inspiration for me. It was, it's one thing to smile and live life fully when you're healthy, but to smile and live life fully when you're incapacitated is something completely different. And so as I got out of high school, he got sicker and sicker. I want to stay close to home. I went to a junior college that was close to Brownwood so I could come home every weekend while he was still alive. And that's what I did in the fall of 1982 for four and a half months. And then in last of November of 1982, I left the room in the hospital and I go back to my dorm room. I get back about 1.30 at three. My coach wakes me up and he goes, Ernest has passed away. You go home, take care of your grandmother. She's done enough. And I mean, everybody knew him and everybody loved him. And I'm telling this story in Houston several years ago. And since Manley's only cried during two movies, I want him to know that most men learn how to cry when that nurse puts your first baby in your arms, right? When all of a sudden you learn how to cry. And so after I give this speech, this man's walking up to me, he's old. I mean, he's gotta be 95. I look up, he's 20 feet away from me and I see 
he's got tears in his eyes. So what do I do? I start crying. I don't even know what he's going to talk about. And he walks up, he goes, I loved everything about your story, but when you got to Ernest, I knew I had to come up and meet you in person. And he opens up his jacket and inside it had Ernest Morris menswear. Mm. Now that jacket had to be 40 years old and it still looked brand new. <laughs> and he goes, I went into your grandfather's store one day and I, I asked him, I said, I got a job offer in Dallas to work at this big accounting firm. I'm good at numbers. That's what I want to do. And my grandfather looked straight at him. He goes, Ernest looked at me. He goes, why are you going to work for somebody else? Why don't you work for you? He goes, I came here to tell you that when I left his store, he told me what I did not want to hear. I still, still had my head held high. And I want you to know that last week I sold the last of my nine banks. That had it not been for Ernest, I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have ever stepped out of my comfort zone. Oh. And, and then we're both crying and he hugged me. And, and then it made me cry. <laughs> oh, just my grandparents were awesome. And then yeah. five and a half years of minor league ball, six surgeries at 24 out of baseball. I'm in Dr. James Andrews office in Birmingham, Alabama. And he goes, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm not any good. I am going to go home. I can't stay healthy. Maybe I can teach them the opposite of what I did. He goes, okay. So I go home and I go to college. Second dream maker was Dr. Roth, my anatomy and physiology teacher. We take our first test. I take this class during the summer, which I later learned nobody does that to themselves with anatomy and physiology. You don't do it in the summer. It's like four hours a day. I'm in there with 19 female registered nurses, me and Dr. Roth. After the first test, he sends all the ladies out of the room, keeps me, and I'm like, here it comes. I'm stupid. I knew it. Mm. And he takes my test. He turns it over, and he looks me dead in the eye, and he goes, you need to go to medical school. And I said, what are you talking about? He goes, it took me a week to come up with these questions. Your answers are better than my questions. He goes, why do you think all these ladies want to be your lab partner? And I said, because I look good. He goes, no, you don't. <laughs> he goes, but you're smart. And dream maker. A double, double there. Yeah. And just go through college, punt and kick at 28. And I'm kicking and punting in college. Team doctor talks me into having surgery on my shoulder because it hurts. Just breathing hurts. Mm -hmm. I've not thrown a baseball in three years. Mm -hmm. And he does the surgery. You'll never pitch again. I took a three and a half inch bone spur out of your humerus. One part of that prong was inside your rotator cuff, the other prong, your deltoid muscle. Frayed your muscle so bad I had to cut 85% of it out, reshave your shoulder <laughs> joint. I can fix it, but you're never going to pitch again. I said, I don't care. He fixed it. Six and a half inch scar instead of a one inch scar. I'm graduating from college. I start teaching and coaching. And that's when I ran into those high school kids who challenged me when I challenged them. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that the surgery was that extensive yeah. and it was that, yeah. Um, they don't really go over that in the movie, but I, I would love to, for the audience, bring in the trailer. So let's watch that trailer. 15 years ago. You got your shot at baseball. You got hurt. Jimmy Morris put his dreams aside. Hey, coach, you want to throw? I'll throw a couple. Yeah, dad, bring the heat. But sometimes when you least expect it. Oh, my God. Dreams come back to life. I threw today. How hard? Pretty hard. Anybody want to tell me how we lost that game? You quit out there. We start winning, you try out again. All right. It started as a simple bet. It was this thing to get the kids to start playing. Don't hurt yourself. You just threw 98 miles an hour. Nah. It became the most incredible true story in baseball history. Dennis Quaid. Do you know how many guys can throw the ball 98 miles an hour? Yes. Not many. Disney's The Rookie. Got a good Such smile, a wonderful I? movie. I got a good smile in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's just I get I get chills just talking to you and watching the trailer again. I, I strongly encourage everyone to watch it just because it's it's incredible. It's ins inspiring and 
also with the book, uh, you know, so we can touch some more on the story where these incredible students of yours did that bet with you, right? Yeah. And and they won that bet. So yeah. you and you, with your grandparents instilling that, you know, those those values that you had, you followed through. And, and I'd really like to say that you have such an incredible wife who really supported you along that journey too, because by that time you had a couple of kids and you were really just down in the day-to-day, -day, in and out. I'm just trying to make things work for the family. And you still followed through. I did follow through. I Honestly, April, I thought this is a joke. It's going to be embarrassing. It'll be humiliating. But if it gets them to step out of their comfort zone, I can get laughed at for a little bit. Sure, mm -hmm. you win. I'll try out. Be the example. Yeah. <laughs> and. I'm just, they won. And you now we're down by three runs going into the last inning and history would dictate we're not going to come back and win that game. They win. They score six runs, hold the other team to zero. And I'm watching this group of kids celebrate something that not even they thought they could accomplish. And I'm also the bus driver because when you teach and coach, that's your extra duty is bus driver. Oh, so I well, go back and I start the bus. <laughs> I look out and I see this group of kids celebrating something not even they thought they could do. They're hugging each other. They're hugging the trophy. And this is where I say late bloomer at 35 watching those kids celebrate is the first time I ever got exactly what it was. My grandfather was teaching me. It's not about me. It's about we, what can mm -hmm. we do to make each other better? How can we push each other without breaking? Because yeah. it's not what you do when you know people are watching. It makes you who you are. It's what you do when nobody's watching you at all. That makes you who you are. And those lessons just came bursting. I'm like, I get it now. And I, you know, because of my faith, because of my grandparents, I like, I think I can hear my grandfather giggle as I'm thinking this, watching these kids celebrate, right? He's like, they could do it. They just needed a little push. Mm. You see, at the beginning of the season, when we made the bet, they couldn't hit me. By the end of the season, I can't get high school kids out. They're hitting me all over the field. I'm like, I forget about the bet. We're winning, yeah, but they're hitting me. And I'm like, Okay, we're hitting. That's awesome. And then when I go to the tryout and find out I'm throwing 98 miles an hour, I'm like, first, there's a happy dance, right? Because every man on the planet or woman playing softball or baseball, you throw 98, there's a happy dance going on in between your ears, I'll promise you. Oh, yeah. But what quickly takes over is I've been throwing 98 miles an hour at high school kids. I'm getting sued. <laughs> And, you know, I, I tell the scout that and he's, he's giggling. I'm like, he goes, I remember you back in the early 80s. You were a football star. I said, yes, sir. He goes, everybody want to make a picture out of you. You're tall and thin. I said, yeah. He goes, well, I don't know. You've done your time off aside from eat, but first pitch you threw was 94 without warming up. Everything after that went up to 98. I was stunned. And he goes, when you came here today and signed up, you were 35. He goes, I'm calling in a 32-year-old lefty with great movement who throws 98. And I said, if I, if I come back again, can I be 29? <laughs> that too. And he goes, don't be surprised if you get a phone call. They're gonna think I'm drinking again, but I gotta call it in. I get home and it's 12 messages and they want me to come back and throw again in two days. Then I have to call my kids and go, look, I did really well, they want me to come back. I got this job in Fort Worth at a high school and the opportunity to work in a bigger environment with more kids. I'm good at this, I'm successful at this. But over here on this dream thing that you guys push me back into, they want me to throw again. If I do well, sign a contract. Mm. What do I do? You walk in the walk and talk in the talk. And I, I told my kids, I went, I think I'm going to take the safe route and teach because I'm good at that. But coach, you told us if we ever had our dream in front of us, you'd chase it. That is what Ernest taught you and what you taught us. And I said, well, I, I was lying. I'm going to go teach in high school. And they said, no coach. So the next two days later in rain so bad, they had to hand me a brand new baseball, every single pitch, sliding up to my knee in mud in the middle of a lightning storm with spikes on 98, every pitch as those high school kids held my three kids and watched their coach throw almost hundred miles an hour and sign a contract. I got to play baseball again, not when I wanted it as a 19 or 20 year old, who would have been spoiled rotten if I'd have gotten the dream I wanted when I wanted it. 
but getting it at 35, I respected it a whole lot more. And mm. I have to thank for that. You know, <clears throat> excuse me, we, that's just it, right? The course of life and the directions that it goes, sometimes we just can't see, you know, the magic in it until we are older. It, like you said, you are able to respect it and understand it more, you know, in the older years, you've had some life happen already. You've gained knowledge and wisdom. And who knows if that would have happened in your younger years, you might not have had your children or your wife or whatever. Right. And so when we look at those things and we look back on, it's kind of nice to be like, okay, I see, I see the goodness in this. That I think is one of the biggest things that, that hit me the hardest is looking back at that now, when I had all this ability, I didn't have the brains. <laughs> right. Because I wanted what I want when I wanted it because I wanted it. And then after your ability is supposed to be gone, and I, I attribute it to my faith, I have the ability, even though I am older and I should be getting out of baseball, I'm getting back into it. And I think it was because it was a bigger lesson for those kids to learn than it was even for me, but it helped me mm. sit back and analyze and go, when I pushed them, they pushed back. We made each other better. We make a good team. And those kids are still in contact with me today. They're now older than I was when I taught them, in which they love bringing up a lot because I'm old now. But it's just fun watching them with their families and their kids now. And yeah. And people go, it was those baseball kids. You must have just really loved them more than anybody. I'll be honest with you. I love being in the classroom because you learn something new every day. You can be an adult, but those kids come in and you're like, I had no idea you could think like that. All right. And then you things happen and you don't even realize for like 25 years what's gone on. But this kid was in my class for two years in a row because he failed. And then a few years ago, I get the letter from this kid. He goes, I was the kid who came into class every day, never said a word, never opened a book. I had my cowboy hat on every single day. You have no idea what I went through in the house. I could never study. I was in charge of the, my little brothers and sisters until I came back to school. And by that time, I was too tired to study or anything. But you took the time to say hi every single day and ask me if I ever needed anything. And I want you to know you're the only teacher who ever did that. And so that's why I'm writing to you to tell you that I have married the most beautiful woman on the planet. <laughs> I have the three most beautiful daughters anybody could ask for. And then at the bottom, it goes, oh, yeah, I own my own oil company. Nice. And, and I'm just, doing well. Exactly. And I'm like, can you hire me? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. That is the not the me, but the we and the, the reason. And it's exactly how we all should be towards one another and, and impacting each other on just to all be our best. And I want to bring in a couple of the pictures so people get to see, <laughs> you know, those fastballs. My goodness. Yeah, I had no idea. When I went to the tryout, I'm just thrown like I am in batting practice, nice and smooth and easy, which I'll go back. Teaching those kids, I threw batting practice to them while they were hitting so I could see them from the front because I coach better seeing them do everything than I do standing behind the backstop because as a pitcher, I watched everybody and how they addressed the ball when it came up to the plate and everything else behind it. I'm not as good. And so I throw batting practice and do that. I had to make myself as smooth as possible so I could throw every day. And so they call they called me easy gas back in professional baseball because it didn't look like I was trying to throw hard at all. It just came out. Yeah. And it was amazing because I couldn't really tell how hard I was throwing, but I could hear it come out of my hand. Mm. Yeah. Here is another one, a little more close up. And the first thing, April, that is, I find ironic and funny at the same time. I threw 87 or 88 the first time around. And when I came back, 
after I should have retired, after having a surgery in which the doctor said never, ever pitch again, 98 to 102. Sometimes we listen to people who all they know is what is in their little box. And when they get in their box, that's all they can think. And there mm. is no thinking outside the box. And metal, medical professionals can be wrong too. And I didn't learn this until years after baseball that just because I hire a doctor, I can fire that doctor if I don't agree with what they're doing and how they're, what their approach is. Mm. It took me a long time to come to that. And it actually, it took me a very bad experience in, in Houston when I was diagnosed with Parkinson's by a doctor who's a foremost movement specialist in the world. And I thought, you're the worst human being I've ever met. I don't want to talk to you. And so I went back to San Antonio to my neurosurgeon and I went, I, I'm not, no, I'm not listening to him because they're wanting to do different things to me and put me on all this medicine. I'm not doing that. Uh, I'm so glad that you brought that up, you know, about, and, and absolutely there's incredible doctors in the world. Absolutely. I've had a few on the show and at the same time, it doesn't mean that what they say we should take with a hundred percent truth. Although they're, you know, the authority figure in the white coat, right? And it's easy for us to believe because that's what we're supposed to do is to, to take their words as truth. And again, I'm just glad that you bring it up because if, if we all did and it wasn't good for us, then that would be our absolute, right? right. That would be the future of us and, right. and the, the doom, so to speak. And I've had my own share with my experiences in that. And so... Tell me a little bit about, here, I'll bring in a couple of the comments. Redefining Destiny says, amen, doctors are merely practicing medicine. We're all learning. This is very true. And Manly says, beyond our wonderful grandparents, who inspires you and how do you stay positive and driven? It's a great question. Oh, man, who inspires me? I'll tell you that growing up as a kid, my all-star team in Connecticut, we got to go to Fenway Park. And this is back when Fred Lynn's playing center field and Jim Rice is there and Carlton Fisk is catching. And the Milwaukee Braves come into town and I get to watch Hank Aaron, who has all these home runs. And for me as a kid, it was cool because he hit home runs. Me as the adult is looking at someone who dealt with way more than baseball just to get to the baseball field so he could play the game that he was at the very top of the world at playing even receiving death threats and everything else he still came out and did his job every single day to the best of his ability hmm. he inspired me and then when we made the movie i didn't even know this was going to happen russell athletics was an endorser he was with russell athletics at the time and so as the movie comes out i'm getting to ring the closing bell at the stock exchange with Hank Aaron. And I'm like, this is the most amazing time. And I got to tell you, that person being a hero in my life has absolutely been worth it because he was probably the nicest man I've ever met in my life who had been through so much more than I could ever, ever imagine. Mm -hmm. And he just had this hearty laugh and he giggled. And I said, you signed a baseball for everybody on my team. And I said, it took me approximately 30 seconds in the snow in Connecticut to ruin that ball. I sandlotted it. And he started giggling even harder. And he goes, do you know what that thing would be worth now? And then he giggled harder. And I went, ah, <laughs> just down to earth. Yeah. And it was just a blessing to be able to sit there and talk to him about the game that meant so much to him. I, I think that when we reflect on the people who inspire us the most if if you read a you know a lot of the self-help books etc they they will tell you to do just that to really reflect understand think about who it is that inspires you and why and then bringing out those aspects of yourself and you know walking into that and so wonderful people and like you said just down to earth and even though they have been through the trenches and the worst of the worst. They, they show up and they keep going. Yeah. And 
that made me think of my own story a little bit, how when I did it just for me, it never worked. But when I did it for everybody but me, that's when it worked. Yeah. And, and that's a great point. Yeah. It's life will work out. What your job is to do is not stop moving. Mm. Keep dreaming, keep planning, and then put it into action because a dream without any action stays a dream. But when you put action into it, you make a plan, then you can attack it. It does. Well, we're going to go into our first commercial. And then when we come back, Jim, I, I want to hear a little bit more about your journey with Parkinson's and how you have moved through that. Stay tuned. Hello, everyone. I am Kim Jacobs, the host of The Kim Jacobs Show. And you all know who's right here with me, Dr. Les Brown. How are you, Dr. Brown? I'm blessed and highly favored. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the time you want to give yourself a competitive edge. If you got a message, you have some knowledge or experience, a story, or if you want to do something adventurous and exciting with your life that can increase your credibility, expose you to millions of people, I am encouraging you to have your own talk show. I used to have a talk show. That one talk show catapulted me to another level. Now there are more people watching the internet, as you are aware, than television. Yes. Come on, somebody. That's right. Dr. Kim Jacobs, she trained people on how to have their own talk show. She will train you how to do that. And now with me working, partnering with her, now you have the combination of an audience, expansive audience. We have over 4 million people in all of our platforms and the coaching you need to grow your business, to grow your multi-level marketing organization, to draw more attention to yourself in this noisy economy. Go ahead, Kim. So in the training that I do, Les, I actually do a six week training. It's one hour per week. And each week I meet with the individuals one-on-one -on -one. We go through and we talk about all of the things that's necessary for a show to become a reality. We go from how to actually identify your focus area, what's going to be your ideal customer that's going to be tuning in. We'll talk about how to get guests, how to get sponsorship, how to go about getting your lighting, your branding, and your banners, and everything that you need to know. And guess what, Les? They right. own their own content at the end of the day. And that's exciting. Now, if you're ready to, to, to create a shift in your business and in your life and increase your cash flow, I want you to go to KimJacobsConsulting.com. It's right there on the screen. KimJacobsConsulting.com. You know, people say opportunity knocks on every door. Right. No. Opportunity stands by silently waiting for you to recognize it. So I want you to recognize that this is a time for you. This is an incredible time to have your own talk show. It establishes a level of credibility. Yes. And by being exposed to people on a regular basis, it allows you to strategically begin to impact and attract your audience. She can take you in a place in yourself that you can't go by yourself. So go to Kim Jacobs consulting.com. That's kimjacobsconsulting.com. Did I say kimjacobsconsulting.com? Yes, you did. Very good. Make sure you go there and sign up for the coaching. And we're looking forward to working with you. You have something special. You have greatness within you. That's my story. And that's Kim's story. And we're sticking to it. Bye for now. Bye-bye. So welcome back. And I, I want to talk a little bit about the Parkinson's disease that you have gone through and you heard things from doctors. And I know that you describe and talk about this in the new book so people can find much more detail there. And also want to make sure everyone knows where to find you. I have your website on screen and for those of you who are tuning in and listening in on apple podcasts etc it is www.jimtherookiemorris.com that is j-i-m-t-h-e-r-o-o-k-i-e-m-o-r-r-i-s.com 
So tell me about the experience that you've had moving forward. So you were diagnosed after you went to the major leagues, correct? Yeah. In 2001, I signed with the Dodgers. I knew um, I had Tommy John surgery done by Frank Job early in the 80s. And then he retightened that ligament back in 2000. And he saw how great a shape I was in. And so he told the Dodgers, he goes, hey, the Rays released him because he they used me as a doctor. So why don't you sign him? And so they did. And so in 2000, to beginning in 2001, I went out to Chavez Ravine in LA and worked out with a team where I was at Curlin Job Clinic with physical therapists doing exercises, running, throwing, hitting, lifting, all of it, throwing 95 and over where I wanted to, when I wanted to. And then we left LA to go to spring training when they were still at Vero Beach. And I drove from LA to Vero Beach the first day we go out to play catch and I'm afraid of the ball. I can't judge the ball coming at me and mm. I don't want to throw it. I don't want to be hit by it. We play pepper games, stuff I taught my high school kids how to do. And I've been doing forever since the age of five, putting a bat on a ball, learning how to bunt. I can't do any of it. I mean, they're basically tossing the ball up in the air and I cannot put a bat on it. And I went, if I throw the ball up there, and one of these guys hits a ball back at me at 115 or 120, I, I'll never see it. And I quit. I went home and my wife and I started looking for doctors and saying, what's wrong? My balance was off. I Headaches. I would get a headache. Mm -hmm. I would get a sinus infection and my neck would lock up. And that was the beginning of Parkinson's. We just didn't know it yet. And so numerous doctors and they kept going, we can't find anything. We can't find anything. And yet... Mm -hmm headache, sinus infection, neck lock, something's going on. Yeah. So we go to this doctor in Houston, who's foremost and movement specialist, who has a bedside manner of a bull in a China closet. And that's the nicest thing I can think of. <laughs> and so he, he puts me on medicine and it helps with the symptoms because I can't smell. I cannot taste mm. my balance is off. And with the headaches, all I want to do you is had me. symptoms of COVID <laughs> basically. And I would get a headache on my neck would lock up January 1st and I would have a headache until June 1st. Mm. And then it would break for a few days and then sinus infection, neck lock, headache till Christmas. I mean, it was just like brutal living. And okay. so I would go to speeches. I would sleep until I went on. I would get sleep back on the plane. I would sleep when I got home until I had to go back on the next trip. But I made all my gigs. I just wasn't much of a husband or father at the time. And so we go through all these doctors, Dr. Blankety blank gives me medicine. It works. I can smell, I can taste my movements better, but it kills my stomach. It gives me gastroparesis. I have gastric bypass ruin why uh, at this point. And I went, I can't take the medicine. He was going to up the medicine after it or stomach fix. I go to a neurosurgeon. He does a deep brain stimulator into my head. He goes, I'm going to put it behind your hairline. Well, he lied about that, but it worked perfectly. When I woke up in the emergency, not the emergency room, in the recovery room, the person next to me had just used a bedpan and I could smell for the first time. I could smell in years. And I, thought, well, I wouldn't say that's the first one you'd want to. However, no, that's not. And, uh, <laughs> and I, didn't I did not tell my wife. And then she brought Italian food into the room that night and ate Italian food. And I didn't tell her then either. I said, I wanted to go. I can smell your food, but mm. I didn't. And the deep brain stimulator was magic. And then we get several years into that. And one night we used to have this black Labrador and his name was Max. And Max was mighty brave when he was standing behind me. And one night at 3.11 a.m., I hear this scratching, and I'm like, what is that? And I look at the end of the bed, and Max is down on the floor, and he's up, and his hair is up, up on the back of his neck, and his tail is down. I'm like, he hears it, too. I'm not, I'm not crazy. And so he and I go out. It's Texas, so I grab my gun, and we walk out, and he bravely walks behind me, and there's nothing there. And I'm like, okay. Go back to bed. Happens again. This time I go outside, we had a metal roof. I think maybe something's up on the roof. It's scratching a raccoon or something. 
Nothing's there. The next day, 12 hours later, 3.11 p.m., I go outside and I'm lifting weights in the garage, both doors up. Max is with me. I'm doing sets. I'm listening to music. And I was sitting between sets because that time I was still pretty tired. And all of a sudden, I just start hearing, you're healed. You're healed. And I thought my friends were messing with me. And I get up and I look around the garage and Max is like, hey, somebody's talking. And he gets up and he looks around. There's nobody there. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. I sit back down and you are healed. And it just turns into this warm voice and saying, you're healed. Mm -hmm. And I did something that I shouldn't have done because two weeks earlier, my wife had accidentally turned off the battery in my deep brain stimulator. And it was like I had a 12 pack of beer instantly and I fell against the wall. Now, two weeks later, it's going, you're healed and you need to turn this off. I turned it off. And for the first time in 15 years, I closed my eyes and I did a circle with my eyes closed and didn't fall over. And I went, wow. And right then, Shauna walks out and she goes, what are you doing? I said, watch this. And I closed my eyes and turned a circle again. She goes, what are you doing? I said, I turned off the battery. And she goes, you did what? And I said, yeah, and I explained everything. And the part I left out and why there is a feather on the front of this book mm. is the second time they said you're healed is I sat back down. I'm trying, I'm trying to figure out what is going on. What, what is happening right now? And I look outside the garage and there are thousands of feathers everywhere. Oh. And so when I go back into the house, I'm telling Shauna this. And I said, come on, man, you got to see it. And I go outside and there is not one feather left. They're all gone. And it looks like, oh, you told a big fib. I'm telling you, our double driveway in our front yard had feathers everywhere. Yeah. And she goes, maybe it was a couple of doves or something. I'm like, mm, no. no. <laughs> and we call the people who had been praying for us, our prayer team. I call them my girls. And they're, they're ladies from church. They're all older than me, but they want to be called my girls because they don't want to be called ma'am. And Shauna starts calling them and going, he's healed. He, he turned it off. He, he's fine. My balance was perfect. I could run again. I could do whatever I wanted. When two months before I'm dragging my leg around the block, just trying to keep moving. And what I will say to your audience, and you know this as well as I do, April, you get autoimmune disease or anything that wants to attack you and attack your body. The worst possible thing you can do is to quit moving. And yeah. when you quit moving, you're basically giving in and going, I give up, man. All right, you got me. I've had so many lessons in my life where you don't give up because success might be right around the corner. And now here it is again. He will never play baseball outside because he has asthma. It turns into pneumonia. His father hates his guts and, and he didn't even want him. And you will never pitch again, physically impossible. And now Parkinson's, no Parkinson's. And originally my diagnosis was CTE induced Parkinsonism and too many concussions. And when they did a, a, a nuclear medicine test on my brain again, they went, your dopamine levels are perfect. You don't have Parkinson's. I'm like, I told you people that. And so they make me do all their little walking in a straight line and standing up on one foot and seeing if I have balance. And the lady who was in charge of the battery of moving it up and down, she's about 411. And she goes, this isn't possible. She goes, two months ago, you were out in that waiting room staring at the wall like the other people out there. And your wife had to help you in the room. Mm -hmm. And now you're healthy. That is not possible. And I went, but I'm standing right here. And so in 2020, during the year of lovely COVID, the, I had my first ever elective surgery, and that was to have the deep brain stimulator taken out. Get it out. Get uh, it out. That So you have, Jim, you've shared your, your story, which is so much of what I really began the Wellness Driven Life show for, um, people healing miraculously, and you have done just that. And so there's a couple of points that I want to touch on that as I wipe my my little tears away. You had, I like to say a couple of things. First off, you mentioned the movement. And I just told Manly this, uh, I don't know, a few days ago or something. I said, if you stop moving, you'll die. And I mean that. 
And I think just like you said, you know that when you have an autoimmune disease or you're, or you're so sick or, or anything, it's, if you stop that movement, you get worse and worse and worse. And so the other thing is, is the power of prayer. It is so, so powerful. So the fact that you mentioned that, that you had a prayer group, it just, it just solidifies the miraculous that occurred. So been blessed to have great dream makers in my life. Yeah. And I know they didn't heal me, but the fact that they were thinking about me and raising prayers up for me is pretty amazing because when Sean and I moved here and started going to that church, I, I had to go home and take a nap the first time I went to church. It's pretty much the the least judgmental church on the planet I've ever seen. Used to when my grandparents, they were basically my first introduction to faith. And basically Jesus before Jesus was a thing, right? Because four walls, religion, that's us. Religions kill so many people. And my grandparents exemplified having faith and moving forward. They've been through World War II. They've been through depression. They've been through the Dust Bowl in Oklahoma, where we came from. I asked my grandmother all the time, where we come from? Oklahoma. No, before that, Oklahoma. Okay, we came from Oklahoma. And, <laughs> that's but, where we came from. <laughs> just the people who have been in my life at the right time to help me over hard parts because the other part of the story, because the book, I'm completely honest. Um, they kept giving me medicine and the headaches and all the shots. And so I'm taking opiates left and right. I got enough opiates to go buy brand new pickups with whatever I want on them. If I so mm -hmm. chose to, to do so. Mm -hmm. And so I'm taking them because the doctor said, take them. And, but it's not working. And so then I added my own prescription and I started drinking. Yeah. And then at 52, I found myself in rehab and, and for the people, I'm not trying to offend anybody, but for the people of faith, this will mean something to you. And even if you're not, this will mean something to you. I think my counselor at the rehab clinic I went to waited for two weeks to talk to me. And then he pulls me in. He ends up being a big baseball fan. He's been to every major league park in the country, he has souvenirs everywhere in his office. He goes, I watched you come in and I've watched what you've been doing and I've seen how you're helping other people and you're not even being asked to. He goes, why are you here? And I said, because I quit living. Mm -hmm. He said, but you're alive. And I said, absolutely, I'm alive. He goes, so you, Jesus is with you. I said, absolutely. So Jesus is your co-pilot. And I said, yep, he's my co-pilot. And this pastor who was a counselor looked at me dead in the eye and he goes, if you had Jesus in the car, why is he not driving? What? And I don't know what that did for me, but it just flipped the switch. And I was like, mm, surrender. I've lost. I've lost my way. I wasn't trying to die, but I, I sure wasn't trying to live either. Mm. And so I've had great people in my life at the right times, even when I've chosen to do the stupid thing. And now drinking is not a problem and pills aren't a problem. I don't take them anymore, but I haven't had it. This is how you get attacked, right? I go through rehab. The day I get out, we fly up to Minneapolis. The group I'm speaking to the day I get out of rehab has every bottle of liquor open behind in the green curtain room. And they're like, go ahead and have a drink. Everybody's been drinking all day. Oh, and do you know what, April? I didn't even smell it. It never even had an effect ago. And no effect. No effect. And so, you know, even the kids were bashful for a while because they're all in late 20s, early 30s now. They were afraid to drink around me. And I'm like, it does not bother me, man. If I were you and you had to put up with me, I would have a glass of wine too. And yeah. and so they giggle and laugh. And too often we give up on ourselves and we listen to the people telling us we can't instead of surrounding ourselves with the people who can. I think when you make that decision, you've made the decision. Yeah. And I like that you bring it up too, because especially for people, and I'm sure there's listeners who have dealt or maybe are dealing with some sort of disease. And when we're pumped full of medication that we're expected to take and it's easy to get a dependency on or they don't work anyway 
and there's a million side effects. So it makes you feel worse and it's easy. And I've been there too. Well, what else? And you, you mm -hmm. go to alcohol or you go to something that, you know, whatever, whatever you can find. Mine was whiskey because I, I was actually researching what's, what's a natural remedy that we have been using for a long time and whiskey happened for pain, whiskey popped yeah. up. So, you know, but that was also uh, the first time I had a full night's sleep without pain. So we do yeah, right. what, whatever we can if, if you're in an, an immense amount of pain, right? And then, you know, getting out of that is, an, is another thing. So, but when you made the decision, you know, I'm not going to take these pills. I'm not going to be drinking anymore. Then, then that's it. You just have. That's it. You know, I'm in rehab and everybody around me throwing up one end or the other man and i i'll be honest i never even had a withdrawal symptom it was just like it's over that chapter is closed it's time to move on yeah now you're going to go do the stuff i want you to do and so hopefully that's what i'm doing now you know jim as you as you tell your story it's fascinating to me and and i can't help but think that you've been guided and led to do you know, just what you're doing. And, and I'm sure there's more to come, but the way that life goes, and we talked about it a little bit and touched on it, but you, you didn't get into the major leagues young, you, you come a little later, but by then you have a family and you have a beautiful wife who's supportive. And you know, that, that career is not necessarily lengthy and there's a what's next. And that happened to be okay we're going to put you through this, this turmoil, you're going to have a disease and you're going to have to get through this and learn some lessons in order to come out of it. You know, we're, we're directed in so many different ways and we can't see it until we can see it. Right. We get in the middle of something and we get so wrapped up in it that we forget to have a different perspective and everything we've, we've learned in education or life itself. We, we forget to step out and look in. And go, if this was somebody else, how would I approach that person if they had this problem? Because it's us. I don't have a problem. And sometimes we're the biggest problem there is. Absolutely. Um, do you mind, and I'm going to put you in here. Can you hold up the book with the, the feather again for the audience? I love that. And I love the message of the feathers. And I think even they touched on the power of faith a little bit in the movie even yeah. um there's and you can describe it better than i can because i don't know if they were were nuns or what but basically women who were blessing the grounds of a certain area in texas which happened to be you know where the ball fields ended up being is that correct yes ma'am and here's a, here's the funny thing i didn't even know about that story until our director, John Lee Hancock, came up with it because he's a huge historian for Texas. And mm. when he helped, when he told me that story, I went back to the people and I'm like, why didn't you guys tell me all this? And I'm like, well, everybody knows that. That's how our lake got the bottom dropped out of it is when they drilled for oil underneath the lake and it, it all the water disappeared. And I'm like, oh, but it just it segues into something that. Like being a speaker the last job I ever thought I would love doing. I thought baseball was it for me. I want to be an athlete. I want to be an athlete. But I have to tell you, between being in a classroom and being an athlete, getting to talk about being an athlete and in the classroom to people and businesses and churches all over the country and all over the world, it's just a little bit more experience, something else to talk about. Well, Jim, I just noticed the time and I have gotten swept away in our conversation. You have been so incredible on the show. I want to bring in a couple of the comments that came in. Manly says, yet again, living proof that you don't subscribe to limitations. And Redefining Destiny says, God didn't cause this, but he allowed it because he knew the man he created in you to be a testimony of his love and grace. Wow. Thank you, Destiny. That's awesome. Um, I want to make sure again that everyone knows where to reach you, how to reach you, how to get your book. 
And again, that's www.jimtherookiemorris.com. You can purchase the Dream Makers book there. Yes. And on, and, and on Amazon. And on Amazon. This is all also on the description, in the description below. And for those of you watching the replay, which would be the majority of you, if you have comments, leave your comments in the comments section below and we'll get back to you. So Jim, is there anything else that you want to say to our audience and share with our audience today? And yeah. what's next for you? Is what is next? What is next for me? Oh, I'm enjoying being a grandfather. I'm enjoying having my health again. I'm enjoying playing golf for the first time in years. But I love how my faith has grown throughout this whole experience. And every time that I couldn't do it myself, my wife, our prayer team, our kids, even our parents have stepped up when they needed to step up and they've helped along the way. And I just want to, I want to be more like my grandfather. And I'll, I'll leave you guys with this saying, every day I left his house for three years, and this is back when men actually wore suits. And he had a three-piece suit on every single day of his life. And he's buttoning his vest. He would look out at me as I walked out his door to go to school. He'd go, remember who you are. Remember who you are. And they would go, and whose you are. And I thought, okay. I thought that saying meant when I was a teenager, remember that you're my grandson. If you embarrass me, I will kill you. <laughs> but I, I, I've never even heard him raise his voice. And so it took me a long time mm. to understand what he meant by that. Remember who you are and whose you are is simple. And that goes back to what I thought on the bus when I saw those kids celebrating. It's not what you do when you know people are watching. It makes you who you are. It's what you do when nobody's watching you at all. That makes you who you are. That's yeah. integrity. That's character. That's faith and hope. And even if your faith is not my faith, you've got to have faith in something bigger than yourself because yourself can't be successful without great people around you. Yeah. Uh, I am so excited to get your book and so excited to maybe even have you back because Jim, I think that we could go on about so many more things. You are such a knowledgeable person with so much experience and wisdom and it, it goes deep into the mind, body, soul, all of it. And I love that about you. Thank you so much for being a guest on the Wellness Driven Life Show. Yes, ma'am. And thank you very much, April. I appreciate it. It's absolutely a pleasure. So goodbye for now. And we will see you later.